Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a Q&A, and I'm excited to get in these questions. Yeah. I don't even, I, I was just thinking about it. I don't have any banter. No wow. banter, no updates. I mean, there's probably plenty of updates. I'm excited about the, man, this is the... Is, this is the first week of New Year's as we're recording this. And uh, shit, this has been a busy week already, man. Um, a lot of new... I, I shared on my story yesterday as we're recording this yesterday. Um, like just this huge stack of shirts and gifts and journals and all that stuff sending out to new clients coming on board. Um, Bailey texting me this morning um, and there's just there's an influx of, of people getting ready to start up and start their goals. And it's... I used to like laugh at the whole New Year's thing, but it, now I just it just fires me up because I know it is it, it does give people momentum, you know, and I just love that. Like, I almost want to keep talking about it on my story and on the podcast and everything because I just want people to keep like keep using that momentum, keep using it, keep using it, keep using yeah. it. Because the if you stack that more and more, it will just compound and it just gets stronger and stronger, you know. And I think I, I truly believe that most people they they try to find motivation. Like that's their problem is they're constantly following on that. And like we talked about in that other podcast about New Year's resolutions, you got to build discipline because yeah. that is what allows you to keep going. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't seen the fitness challenge that I'm doing on Instagram, that shit. Go check it out. Yeah. That will give you some discipline. Um, and some of them, man, the one I'm going to post today as we're recording this, the quad, uh, what was it called? The quad torture. Yeah. It didn't look as bad on the video as it was. Like I want to emphasize how much my quads hurt yeah. in a good way. Like I wasn't like, like I'm fine today. I can walk, but like that squat hold hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't done a squat hold that like was that painful, especially after just squatting 300 something pounds and then going into the assault bike and the squat holds like, oh, dude, it was quad torture. Yeah. Um, got tagged by somebody today doing it. Uh, a couple people messaged me, said they're doing it. Um, Brandon on our team texted me and was like, so what's the deal? He's going to laugh when he hears this. He was like, so what's the deal with this challenge? Is this a thing? Like I got clients asking me and I'm like, I don't know, man. We were just like, this would be fun. Let's do it. And I put a bunch in a cup and we started doing it just to like, just to do it, just to do it, just yeah. to create engagement, get people excited about Love stuff it. and watching stuff. Um, but it was funny that, that people watching it, but like the, the, the reason I bring this up is because the, the biggest benefit I've seen is just like the aftermath. Like yesterday, I really, Really, that was probably the one I didn't want to do the most. Um, the 100 burpees, next time I get that, I'm definitely, like, that's probably going to be the worst. Yeah. The first time, I was still, like, excited about the challenge. So, it was, like, day two. Yeah. I got the burpees. We should time it next time. Yeah. I'm yeah. down for that. Um, because, like, the first time, I was like, man, this sucks, but I'm still, like, excited about this challenge. Next time, I'm just going to be like, fuck this, because it might be on day 29 or something. Yeah. But, uh Yesterday, getting the farmer's walks again after I just had them a few days ago, that was the one I was like, dude, this is like, my forearms already hurt because I was doing heavy deadlifts yesterday, and now we got to walk a thousand yards, and that hurt way worse in a good way than the first time I did it, yeah. but the whole idea of, of doing it when I really don't want to, like afterwards, I feel so good, you know, like knowing that I just checked that box off even though I didn't want to do it, and the mind games you play with yourself. And this is the, this is the most important thing. And, and I will say this accountability helps a lot. So 
Um, we are working on some stuff right now to uh, re-release the Tailored uh, Life Challenge that many of you did with us. I mean, we had like 800 people do it with us in the group, which was really, really cool. A free challenge, mind you. Um, but we're putting some stuff together. There's going to be a podcast website and stuff soon, and we're going to be able to give people access to this. It's going to be really cool. But one of the things that worked really well with that was the accountability of being in a group and accountability of sharing the post on your story and checking off the box, you know. But that camera for me is that accountability because they're literally, and this is the most powerful part about like doing things you don't want to do and, and entering into challenges like the Tail Left Challenge or 75 Hard or anything like that is the moments of me working out out there, knowing that you're going to walk out with the camera soon and I'm like finishing my normal workout. I'm literally thinking in my head like, okay, well, I got to go to the post office. Maybe I'll just like, I'll do this tomorrow. Cause we're, we, so as obviously we have to edit. So we're a day ahead of everybody, right? Yeah. So when you guys see it, like I'm going to post the next one here in a little bit. I didn't just do that. I did that yesterday. You know, we're a day ahead, but like I'm thinking in my head of excuses and reasons I can tell you, we don't got to do this today. Yeah. Like I'll do something else or I'll figure it out. Man. Like, happen, man. But then I still just, I'm like, like yesterday you just walked out with the camera and you're like, let's go. And I'm like, fuck. All right. But like, I battle with myself, right? I'm like, no, I don't got to do it today. I'm a dad. And I'm like, no, fuck that. Stop being a bitch. Like, you're going to do it. And like, I go back and forth. But when you, actually, Andy Frisella talks about this in the book, 74, where he talks about um, like beating your inner bitch. And like, that's literally what happens. It's like, I'm literally trying to back out and I'm battling myself, giving myself excuses, then telling myself to shut up and do it. And then giving more excuses, then telling like myself the, to uh, do it. The devil on your shoulders. It's exactly yeah. what it is. And when you win and you do it anyway, Dude, it's just like, man, not hitting snooze is 10 times easier. Yeah. Waking up early and getting shit done is 10 times easier. Going on a cold, last night my walk was real cold, dude. But doing that is easier. And even like Monday, Tuesday, when, so today's Wednesday. So Monday and Tuesday. Actually Sunday as well. There's three days in a row. So January 1st was Sunday. I was like, I'm going to smoke one of my nice cigars, sit by the fire out on my back patio after Blake goes to bed. Like that's like a, a good night routine for me kind of like a, a good way to like celebrate without getting drunk or drinking and eating a bunch of calories. And I really enjoy a nice cigar, but I didn't do my walk with the weight vest. So I was like, Fuck, I'll do it tomorrow. Monday, the first Monday of the year. Didn't do my walk during the day because I didn't have time from work. Skip the cigar again. But every night I go out and like, Shan's like, you smoke a cigar? And I'm like, gotta do my walk. And I really would rather just sit there and smoke a cigar than go on a walk with a weight vest at fucking 9 p.m., in the cold yeah, for 45 minutes. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, so, but because I'm doing the challenge, because I'm like doing something I don't want to do. Like when I start to talk myself into smoking a cigar, instead of going on a 45 minute walk with a weight vest, I eat more easily say, no, fuck that cigar. I'm gonna go on the walk. Totally. You know? Um, and that's just an example of every single thing. When you got to order a salad, when you want to stop after two beers, cause that's what you tracked and you're not going to have three or four. Like every time you're, mind says, nah, you're good, man. Like you can do it. And you know, you shouldn't because it doesn't align with your goals. It'll be 10 times easier to just stick to your goals and say no to the temptation. If you do things like this, and you don't have to do the challenge, but you got to do something hard. Yeah. Like I think everybody would just benefit so much this year if they did that. Yeah. That one, that one single thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up about it. I'm fired up about the new year. We are busy as fuck and it's going to get even busier. I'm I very excited it, for some collaborations we're doing. The new building's coming along. Um, you went and checked it out yesterday, was it? Yep. Yep. Uh, I talked to the sign people today. It's going to be like eight weeks, but um, getting the big custom sign on the outside. Sick. It's going to be dope. I'm excited eight about weeks that. For, like it's getting started? 
yeah. So basically what they do is they have to take our logo and then they have to uh, like do the vector design. And then we got to decide like, okay, I want it black. So it's like, okay, this is black. Do you want it like just like gloss shine? Do you want it to be like thick and standing out? Do you want, cause like the more material it is, the more expensive it is. Yeah. Right. Do you want lights behind it? So when it goes to night, it lights up. Do you like, how do you want this built out? Um, and then they got to get permits, which is probably the longest part because you could file for a permit and it takes a couple days or it could take weeks, yep. you know? Um, but we're in motion. Totally. I'm excited to leave the building. I want to do the light up one, but I'm excited to leave the building and see it lit up. Yeah. Taylor coaching method. Just go on the front door. Yeah. So, in the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty light out still in the summertime. Facts. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's uh, get to some questions today, guys. Let's we got our first question. Mm. What? Giveaway. Almost forgot. What? Yep. Go ahead. You're smirking like. I'm oh, not no. supposed to say that. I thought you were going to announce the winner. Oh, no. We're not announcing the winner. You should have already gotten a DM by now if you won last week. Because yep. um, that's how we're going to do it. We're just going to DM you if you win. Uh, and then you can email uh, who I tell you to email. I'm not going to blast that on the podcast because maybe you'll try <laughs> to cheat your way to a shirt. Um, but if you want to win a tailored shirt, we're doing a giveaway every single Monday on the podcast. So all you need to do is make sure you have left us a five-star rating and review on Spotify or iTunes or both. Uh, you have to take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your Instagram story, tag me at Cody McBroom and tag one other person that you want to listen to the podcast, somebody that could benefit from the podcast, um, somebody that you know should be listening to this episode or just this podcast in general. Um, throughout the week, I am taking screenshots of all these people who are um, doing so, this. Yeah, even if I don't respond to you within 24 hours because I get a lot of those tags for different content pieces and stuff, I am taking screenshots of all of them to make sure that I get all these people and we're going to pick a winner every single week. So again, Take a screenshot of the show, post on your story, tag me at Cody McBroom, tag one friend that should be listening to the podcast, um, as well as leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes and or Spotify. Once you do that, you'll be in the running, and we're going to choose a winner at the end of every week. Amen. You'll get a shirt, and I will DM you the instructions to get that shirt. Now, let's do it. get into some questions. Let's get it. All right, first one is coming from Sarah Land says, hey, it's Cody Land, the bare-knuckle boxer's wife. I'm working on the physique and bodybuilding cert from NASM that you recommend and have decided to compete in my first bikini competition on October of 23. I'm 36 years old, so I can really dig in and apply what I am learning. I still, I'm still digging into the course material, so wanted to reach out for help to get ahead. Right now, I'm focused on building muscle f before it's time to start cutting. For context, here's here's what I I am at currently. I've been on a dedicated lifting routine for a couple years, and for years before that, before having a baby, my newbie gains seem to have worn off. So I'm st started putting myself through my first bulk last October. I weigh 140 and 55. I'm eating around 2,300 calories and focusing on keeping protein around 30 percent. My weight is up five pounds, and I'm feeling strong and progressing in the gym every single week. How would you suggest I periodize as I move forward with this bulking phase and eventually into my cutting phase? I plan to cut for 12 to 16 weeks, so I wouldn't start until June at the earliest. Should I plan for a maintenance phase or not? What, uh, want to be sure I can squeeze as much as I can out of this muscle-building phase so I don't want to overdo my time in a deficit later on. I love your show, and thank you for all the guidance you have provided. Do you need a drink of water? 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, did she say the date of her show? October of 23. Okay. October of 23. She's bulking right now. And before, the, before cutting. Before cutting. And she's basically just asking how long she should cut and if she should have a maintenance phase before. Or I'm sorry, how long she should bulk for and then if she should have a maintenance phase before the cut. Bingo. Um, so... Uh, Man, stuff like this is so tough. First of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, loving the show and sharing the show and everything. And shout out to your husband who um, we coached as well um, to win uh, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, which was really dope. He went through a crazy weight cut um, and then won. So, and just a fucking savage he bare is. knuckle fight. Like, come on, man. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so. Stuff like this is tough because it just depends on so many factors. Um, the like the truth is is that I don't believe anybody should go through a gaining phase for less than six months. So if it's January right now, January, February, March, April, May, June. So she said start in June, right? Because uh, that gives her June, July, August, September, October, which is five months, um, which is just over four, uh, 16 weeks. Gotcha. Am I inaccurate with that? Uh, it's, June at the earliest. Right. Yep. Um, 16 weeks. So she could go into July if she wanted just 16 weeks. Now, the problem with this is, is like, okay, number one, you are going to adapt to training stimulus and a surplus differently than the next person. So for me to say that you absolutely have to have six months might not be accurate. If you're brand new to lifting, you can make a ton of gains in three months. Or if you're just a female who uh, maybe hasn't like, and I don't mean to categorize women into this, but this happens more often with women than men, but we'll get women who have done only done circuit training and things like that. And then they're like, okay, I'm ready to start lifting and building some muscle. And they've never gotten out of a deficit really. So now we're, we're stepping into strength training and a calorie surplus for the first time ever. You're going to gain like a newbie. So you might gain a lot in the th- first three months and we might make a lot of leeway, um, which means one of two things. A, we might not even need a six full months, or we just might be able to be more conservative with the surplus to avoid excess fat gain, which means that we can extend the gaining phase because we're gaining at a slower rate due to a smaller surplus, but it's very consistent because you're getting these gains very easily. Whereas the next person might be extremely experienced and where we have to push and do a 10, 15% surplus, which might add some more fat, but it finally leads to gains because they're more advanced. But that person might need a longer prep. They might need more than 16 weeks. You know, 16 weeks is a good diet length for a normal fat loss. But there's a lot of people who do preps for 20 to 24 weeks because the the, the easiest way I can explain this in just one question is, is if you are considering a bikini show, a physique show, anything like that, my first question is always, how much do you think you should weigh when you step on stage? Minus 10 pounds from that, literally. So when you say 16 weeks to get you where you need to be, it's most likely going to take longer or you're going to have to be more aggressive because nine times out of 10, and it's happened to me, it's happened to like me and Ariel talked about this on the team and she's competes year, like year after year. You always need to get lighter and leaner than you expected. It's just how it works. Um, so, you know, and like, so like Dennis, Ariel's husband, um, I'm doing his programming for his, uh, for just for his training. I'm not doing his nutrition or anything, but he's on his off season this year. He's literally going into a surplus for 12 months straight. So like just as an example of like, I'm going to put on muscle. I'm an experienced lifter. We're spending 12 fucking months just gaining. And then he's going to go into a diet. And a lot of times that's what it is. Like every other year they do a comp because that allows you to spend a full year cutting. Now you're not dieting the whole year, but you can maybe phase between two different cuts with a maintenance phase in between. But point being, 
there's so many variables it makes it very hard for me to say yes do this and this for this long exactly right it's going to be a range um now the thing i would say is you're probably going to want at least six months most people aren't going to gain a notable amount of muscle mass in less than six months um and you don't need a maintenance phase but you might want to take one if um, it helps you psychologically or it allows you to just kind of find where your true maintenance is. And the reason I say that is because re- realistically, like I had, I used to have this theory of like, maybe if you go into a maintenance phase after a bulk or, or a gaining phase, you'll be able to, um, there's really no good intelligent way to say this, but like solidify your muscle growth. Like you, you put on the muscle, you, you may go through a maintenance phase, just make sure like muscle staying here. It's not going anywhere. Now I can go into a cut without worrying about like losing muscle tissue. Right. Well, the reality is, is that it's, it's not necessarily, unless you gain for a short period of time, that's not going to happen. You know, if you gain for six to eight months straight, let's say, and then you go right into a deficit, all your gains from month one are solidified by month two. Month two gains are solidified by month three. You know what I mean? Like you build a tissue and you're staying in a surplus for an extended period of time. They're fine. They're not going anywhere. However, there are some times where people, depending on what kind of diet or, or, or trainee you are, you might get to the end of your gaining phase and be very successful, but you were still in that diet mindset because even though you're not in a deficit, you're still tracking, you're still measuring, you're still training religiously, you're still focusing on sleep, you're still taking supplements. Like you're in the grind. For some people, it's their life it doesn't really phase them. Like that's me, right? I'm not normal. For some people, that's not their life and it does wear on them. And even me, I have to take Saturdays off. When I take trips, I don't track. Like I need those breaks from my fitness pal, from a tracker, from weighing in because it just is a psychological relief. So for some people, I would like them to go through a maintenance phase just so that we can like kind of freshen their, the psychology behind it, right? Let's like refresh their mindset before going to a cut. Because guess what? The cut is going to be all that same shit, but a little bit more serious and intense. Yeah. So it's good to take that maintenance phase for that purpose. Um, sometimes it's also good to find your true maintenance. So you might want to be more intuitive during that time and see like where your hunger levels like kind of land. Um, if you pull your calories down to what you believe is your actual maintenance, like it's going to be a very small amount, but maybe you lose a few pounds and that's probably going to be glycogen and water weight. But after a few weeks, you're going to be like, okay, now this is like, if you gained, like for me, if I went through a bulk and I got myself up to like 180 pounds and then I went to maintenance for a month, I'd probably like float back down to 175, 176. Cause I'd eat a little bit less. Maybe I lowered my volume. Maybe I'm more relaxed with my routine. I'm going to lose a little bit of water, a little bit of carbs. So I'm not eating so much food. And now I'm at like a true maintenance and then I can go into a cut. But if you go from bulk right into cut and you try to slash 10, percent calories and it puts you in a two percent deficit because you were already above maintenance and most of that percentage that you cut is just bringing you into your maintenance range you're gonna be really frustrated with the lack of results right so it's almost better to go into maintenance not expecting anything lose a few pounds of just water weight and then go into the cut um but again you don't have to if you're gonna go straight from bulk to cut you just need to know that you're gonna have to take a bigger percentage of your calories out to go into that cut um but yeah, it's totally it's totally a psychological thing. I think at that point, um, there's no need for a maintenance. But um, yeah, as long as you know the ins and outs. And again, there's no there's no specific timeline. I think at least six months for a gaining phase. Um, if you're prepping for a show, I would say at least sixteen weeks, if not more. Um, if anything, I would do like twenty four weeks and plan some. Uh, personally, I would say twenty to twenty four weeks and plan some diet breaks in there to where you like cut for eight weeks and then you have a two week diet break off, cut for eight more weeks, couple weeks off. And then like you're in the last home stretch, you know, yeah. um, last four weeks to your show. And that'll give you 
more recovery, you'll be able to chisel way better, have a more realistic timeline and expectation. And sometimes you can get ready for your show early and then actually increase your calories going into the show. Totally. So. Cool. All right, we will move on to the next question. It comes from Brittany Irvin. It says, do you have any tips on helping a high school soccer player with nutrition? They want to build muscle. They are already pretty lean and tall, close to six foot. Would Do you think tracking calories would be too much for someone this young? Yeah, I don't like to say that tracking calories is too much for anyone that age, I think is a over simplistic. uh, It's just too general of a state, like overstatement or whatever it is, because everybody's different. You know, that's like when people say macros are restrictive and cause, cause eating disorders. It's like, no, you caused yourself an eating disorder because you took it too seriously. You had OCD and you got obsessive. Macros didn't do that for you. Your attitude and personality type did that to you. Which is, if you did paleo, same thing would happen. If you did keto, same thing would happen. Because certain personality types lead to that uh, disordered eating, right? Um, Very extreme types. Um, Anybody who's like super type A that is just like, almost is like struggles with the all or nothing mentality, you might have that issue. Like I've, I've had that issue. For most things in my life, I battle with well, if a little is good, then a lot is amazing and I got to do more, you know? And it's like, that is a very bad idea. And so you learn how to handle that, but I'm an adult. It's easier for me to learn how to handle that than a kid. So I think that most of the time I tend to suggest staying away from macros and tracking calories and stuff for kids, anyone under 18, realistically, anybody under 20, um, unless it's their profession in some way, shape or form, you know, um, I started playing around with that stuff when I was 18 or 19 because I was trying to become a trainer. Like it was more of a knowledge seeking thing. But, um, most of the time you can be pretty intuitive with your choices. You know, um, if a kid is overweight and like for me, when I was overweight and I was 17, 18 years old, trying to finally start, like I graduate high school at 17. I'm like, I'm going to start trying to lose weight. I didn't track macros. I started eating special case cereal instead of fruit loops lost some weight, started getting 1% instead of whole milk or 2%, you know, like I started drinking diet Mountain Dew instead of Mountain Dew, little things like that, because kids just eat like shit most of the time. And they should like, I, like we have pop tarts and Oreos and all that shit in our house. Like, which is ironic. Cause there's probably podcast episodes way back where I'm like, my kid's going to eat so healthy. Yeah. And then like, I experienced my first fit over a meal and I'm like, no, nah, you're good. What do you want? <laughs> um, but oh, like a kid fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to my point is like most kids, you know, they have junk at school and stuff like that. So for fat loss, they can just cut out stuff and be more active. They don't need to be doing anything crazy. Um, for somebody like him who is trying to gain size, uh, lift weights more like focus on lifting weights more than anything else, more than diet, because you're just going to grow. Like, I mean, you're, you're a little kid at that point, you know, 16 years old is so young. You're full of testosterone and hormones that are ready to just build muscle and you get newbie gains. You get newbie gains if you're 26 years old, but at 16, you're more malleable. So the cool thing about that is, is there's a neurological phenomenon essentially that kids are more malleable from a nervous system perspective, but that applies also to structures of their bones and everything like that. So like, have you ever, uh, I mean, we're not tall, so we probably, I didn't go through this I'm not. and I expect you didn't, but like, did you have any tall friends that went through like growing pains? Oh yeah. Like legit growing pains? For sure. Chris Van Lathan. Oh yeah. <laughs> Super tall. Yeah. So like 
their their bones and joints stuff like that can keep growing yep. literally so like when you start tr- strength training you can build more resilient tendons ligaments bones muscle all that stuff at a much faster rate and it'll stay for long term which is why if somebody comes to me and i hate saying this because i i ha- we have clients like this and it's a hard discussion to have but when somebody comes to me and they're like um, I have really bad posture or like my, my hips are slouched on one side or like I have like my ankles eat inverted or something like that and it's causing imbalances and so on and so forth. The harsh reality is like it is extremely hard to change this because you're 50, yeah. which means that you've been this way. You're stuck that way. And we can't like fucking m- maneuver your joints or bend your... Manipulate. Yeah, you just can't. Like, but kids are, are, are uh, not plastic isn't the word, but... Uh, malleable i guess to an extent right you can start doing postural cues breathing drills mobility stuff like that it will literally start molding into a better posture and position so um now's the time to do it it's why like for some people listening this might ring a bell i know i i can think of multiple people who were in middle school and junior high that wrestled a lot or played football and so especially wrestlers they, they that is like the definition of resistance training without weights you're literally grappling you're grabbing squeezing pulling holding isometrically like that's like the biggest form of strength training you can do that applies to building muscle because it, it's all time under tension, right? Yeah. You're holding and you're bracing and bracing and bracing versus football, run, hit, stop. You know, like, so not so much with them unless they lifted. But anyway, those kids, I've seen kids that, high, that were like middle school, junior high, high school wrestlers, graduated, never lifted away, drank beer at college every day, ate like shit, and then they get out of college and they're still jacked. And you're like, what the fuck? How are you ripped? Like, how are you jacked right now? Yeah. It's because they wrestled when they were so young that they, they're malleable. Their yeah. nervous system started shifting at a young age. It's why uh, the Soviet Union had kids doing Olympic lifting in these fucking camps, dude. Yeah. It was nuts. It's actually really, I shouldn't say cool, because, like, yeah. but it's interesting Very. to read about. Um, and they were, they, they were early adopters of steroids and stuff like that, and, and they were the first ones to get really banned from the Olympics for doing steroids with lifters and stuff, but just have freak athletes. Yeah. Really cool stuff. To read on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not cool that they did it. Totally. But point being is like, that's what you want to be doing with this kid is lifting weights. And then give him a fucking protein shake. Once, once you know, two scoops of protein is 50 grams of protein. Boom. He's in a, he's in a build muscle. Totally. Like for somebody like that, if you like, you know, shameless plug, go to firstform.com slash tailored coaching method, get whey protein. I would do level one because it's, it's higher calories. It's more of like a meal replacement style. So you're going to get more calories out of it have him do a scoop or two of that and then creatine monohydrate and then give him a multivitamin or something just to make sure he's healthy. But like you get enough protein and you get some creatine in a kid, not only is he going to build a lot of muscle and that's going to help him gain weight, it's going to be malleable. So it's going to be applicable and it's going to be more sustainable for the rest of his life. It's going to be easier for him to stay in shape for the rest of life because of it. And creatine actually can increase children's IQ. There's literally a study that shows like brain IQ from studies or test results and shit improve. Um, Cause there's a lot of neurological components that creatine helps. Um, actually citrulline malate does too, but um, which are both performance-based supplements, uh, but do that, eat enough protein. Don't worry about calories. And then the basic stuff, you can get him to eat some vegetables and fruit and shit, do it. Otherwise load him up on carbs and protein. Don't worry about tracking anything. Especially that age. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Uh, we will move on. We got one coming from Rachel. It says, am I still growing and repairing muscle the whole time I am sore for three to four days? How do you know when you are truly recovered? Um, are you? So there's a few things here. One, while you are sore, 
we would, you know, coin that as like muscle damage, right? Like your, your must, you have, you're experiencing muscle damage and that is causing soreness, right? DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness is like lingering soreness from muscle damage. Um, however, we can't really say that muscle damage is causing muscle growth. So while you're sore and your muscle is damaged, it doesn't mean you're building muscle, right? Because what builds muscle is other factors, mechanical tension, uh, which usually happens from progressive overload and, and, and uh, contracting the tissue as hard as you can, right? That tension in the, the actual act of exercising, um, metabolic factors like, uh, metabolite accumulation, uh, metabolic fatigue, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then the stretch. So stretching the muscle fibers, slow eccentrics, long, big pauses on the stretch position of a movement, um, which we just touched on with Brandon Roberts, like all the research on that with stretching, stretching for hypertrophy, um, really, really good podcast, uh, that aired on Thursday last week. Those are the main things. However, those things cause muscle damage. So we need to remember that like, while you're super sore, there's this kind of like balance you got to find, right? So like uh, muscle protein synthesis usually drops off after 72 hours. So technically, if we were putting a timeline on it, we would go, okay, you train your chest today and you get pretty sore and there's a lot of muscle damage. After 72 hours, it's probably going to be like 100% recovered and ready to get at it again. If it's not, you probably went too hard. You probably have too much muscle damage. You have too much soreness. There's a lot of people out there that will say like, you shouldn't get sore. You don't need soreness. I think they're full of shit. I think that they're not training hard enough. And most of the time, if you look at those people, they are already jacked from years and years and years of training. And they claim the stuff they did was really dumb. And now they understand the better way to do it and the safer way. Now, what you did all those years might not have been like scientifically sound and proven, but you were training really hard and that hard training is what built all that muscle. Now you're an old head in the industry who is no longer building muscle. You're just maintaining what you do have and you look good, but don't tell people that's not how you build muscle because yeah. training hard is what builds muscle and training hard breaks down muscle tissue because you accumulate enough metabolite accumulation, metabolic fatigue, mechanical tension, progressive overload, and that leads to muscle damage. But if muscle damage lingers for more than two or three days, like, yeah, you probably went too hard. You shouldn't have that much. And you also should have it locally in the muscle tissue. So another good sign of uh, potentially going too hard or just uh, incorrectly uh, performing exercises is if your soreness isn't necessarily in a muscle or not just in a muscle, but it's actually in your tendons and ligaments. So if my biceps are pretty sore, but my elbows are killing me, I, I fucked up something. <laughs> I either was choosing the wrong exercise for my body and my, my mechanics. I was, uh, I trained too hard and it ended up putting stress on my joint and my tendons and ligaments, or I just overdid it period, you know? Um, and that can lead to that too. So you want to avoid that. You want to avoid lingering soreness for longer than 72 hours. Um, and the other thing you want to avoid is never getting sore because again, like, can you build muscle without muscle damage? Yes. Technically on a molecular level, if we're researching hypertrophy, you can, but in order to consistently build muscle over time, like you almost can't avoid muscle damage. You almost can't avoid soreness because you wouldn't be doing enough or going hard enough with the things that cause muscle growth. If you're not getting sore ever, like that's just a fact. So like and I'm an advanced lifter and I still get sore. I don't have lingering soreness. Like I told you, like, unless it's like a weird muscle, like yeah. I did the hundred burpees and my calves hurt for like three days because I don't do calf raises and I don't run. So like that shit, that fucked me up. But if I do a heavy bench day on Saturday, by Monday, I'm usually good. Sunday, I might be pretty sore and I'm good. Monday, I'm like, yeah, I'm tight, but like, I'm good. I could do push-ups. I could do bench day if I want to, but it's not until tomorrow anyway, because Monday's a leg day for me. 
that's like a perfect blend. And you should still be accomplishing that. If it's, if you're so sorry, you can't stand up or it's lingering all week. Yeah. You probably went too hard, especially if that happens like week one, week two, week three, like it keeps happening. You got to lower your volume or your intensity, or you're just not eating enough protein, not eating enough calories. Um, but, uh, yeah, 48, 72 hours is when you can go at it again. If, if you have a lot of damage now there's full body programs where you can change, train the same muscle every single day. You get way less muscle damage, but you're also doing way less volume per session. So you stimulate the muscle through those pathways for muscle growth less each time. But if you accumulate how much you do by the end of the week, you're doing about the same. This is why a full body program can be just as effective. Um, I know for me, it's kind of like gaining weight where like if somebody's gaining weight, it's almost better to like, if they're okay with putting on low fat, it's almost better sometimes to go at a faster pace because if you go too slow, it's hard to tell, like, am I making progress? Like, yeah. am I gaining size right now? I don't know, because I'm going so slow to avoid fat gain. Whereas if you go, let's just get after it and let's allow a little bit of fat gain so we can see the scale go up and then we know for sure, no matter what, we're building muscle, we'll cut fat later. Um, it's kind of similar in that sense where I like having an upper lower split or a, a day where I'm mainly focusing on push muscles or pull muscles or something like that because I want to ensure I get it done and I get some soreness and then I can move on to the next muscle group the next day. Um, but yeah, so her question mainly was when can she get at it again, right? Correct. I would say 48 to 72 hours is usually like if you have a, a day where you're mainly focusing on one muscle group, that's about as long as you should be sore for two to three days. And uh, after that, you probably shouldn't be sore anymore. And uh, so like exactly how, like, I think you answered it, but like, how does she know that she's actually recovered? Do you just not feel it anymore or you, your performance shouldn't take a hit. So you can't, you won't be able to know right away. But yeah. like, for example, like, and I, I want to say muscle protein synthesis might be a little bit less than 72 hours. But point being is like, let's say I train my chest on Monday and Thursday, upper, lower split, upper, lower rest, upper, lower rest. Right. So Monday, Thursday, are upper body days, Monday, I hit bench. My chest is crushed. I come into the gym Thursday and I can still feel it. Like I'm a little tight, but I warm up and I think I'm good if my bench press or my overhead press or my dumbbell press or whatever movements I have on Thursday suffer because I'm still sore tight from Monday, then you went too hard and you're not ready to recover. But again, like I wouldn't say, oh, well, in that case, just wait till Friday to hit upper body. I would say you did too much or you're on a brand new program. So don't base this off the first week of a program because novelty, right? If you've never done a uh, low incline, neutral bar bench press for five to seven reps, you're going to be pretty sore first week, second week, third week, you probably shouldn't be. And you should be able to hit the gym with just as good of performance based on your RPE, RIR scale by Thursday on your next upper body session. Right. Um, and if you're not, you might've gone too hard or it's week one, if it's week two and you still feel like you can't really perform on Thursday, then yeah, you're just doing too much. And it's not like you should push that day out further. It's like, you should do less because you should be recovered after three days. Yeah. You know, that's two full rest days for your upper body between it. You know, you hit it on Monday, you have all day Tuesday and Wednesday to recover your chest. Like you should be good by now. So, oh yeah, I think that's a good, love it. All right, cool. We will, uh, go to cup, got a couple questions here from, uh, anonymous. It says, should quote unquote free meals or cheat meals even be tracked? I've gotten this one a bunch of times. Um, from somebody asked this recently on Instagram and I've, I've had this conversation in this question asked by clients tons of times. Um, and I think it really depends. Like I think that, so I, I, there's like rules to this whole thing. In my opinion, number one, if you have a cheat meal, you're not on the right diet. 
Because if you have a cheat meal, then that tells me that you are you have to cheat on your diet in order to get some kind of psychological relief from the plan. That is not acceptable in my opinion unless you have an extreme goal. Like we talked about competition. If you're getting on stage, that's an extreme goal. That's why I say shut up and eat your chicken and broccoli. Like that's just, <laughs> that's part of the grind. And most likely if you're the person doing that goal, you're going to like smirk when I say that and you're like, love it. You're like, yeah, I love just eating this plain meal. Like I get it. I do it too. Like yeah. there's something about it. Like it's weird. We're fucking weirdos. But that is not acceptable when a gen pop person, somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, I want to lose 25 pounds. And I have no timeline. I have no deadline. I have no event. I'm not competing in anything. I want to, uh, somebody, uh, uh, application came in today that literally just word for word said, I want to lose weight and be help healthy to keep up with my kids. Okay. Well, I don't know how old your kids are. Cause I haven't talked to this person, but point being is they're full grown adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most likely you're going to have to be keeping up with them for a while. Right? So if you get it done in three months or six months or nine months or 12 months, it doesn't matter. Like we just got to find the right timeline for you. We got to take it slow because then it's sustainable. And in that regard, if we're cheating on that diet, it means that the diet doesn't allow you to live the life that you normally live. So, um, in fact, I actually, I had a conversation with, uh, who was I talking about this? Um, I was talking to somebody about this exact thing and I said, my diet has to include a full bottle of Lauren. <laughs> it was Lauren. Uh, and I, I said, I was like, like, for example, cause we were talking about flexible diet and I was like, for example, like in my diet plan, even for the photo shoot, it has to include one full bottle of wine just to myself once a week because yeah. it's, I mean, wine's great. I can easily drink a whole bottle of wine to myself. Yeah. I'm feeling good, but yeah. like that's gotta be included. So I have to morph the diet around that. What does that mean? Well, it depends. I can make a bigger deficit during the week. I can just like find maintenance with that and then diet from there. I can add more activity. Like if that's how my lifestyle is, I just need to factor that in, right? That's not a cheat meal. I'm not cheating on my diet. On Saturdays, I don't track and I include a bottle of wine. That's just how it is, right? So there has to be like guidelines and parameters to allow things to fit in so that it is a free meal or a planned meal. It's just, it's just part of the plan. You know what I mean? Like I don't mind the word free meal because, um, I'm very boring. So I do the same shit every single week, but, um, I have some clients that are, that are foodies. So for them, it, maybe it is a bottle of wine and some stuff one week. Maybe it's pizza the next week. Maybe it's ice cream with the kids the next week. Maybe it's a donut the next week. Like they just like changing it up. Cool. We have one free meal, like every Saturday you do it. And I think there should be parameters around that. So for example, it's not in your house. Or in my case, it is in my house, but I go on Saturday to buy the ingredients for that so that it's a portion controlled purchase. And what that means is that I go and I go, okay, we are consuming these items tonight. Anything we don't consume goes in the trash because I don't want lingering treats and things that are going to cause me to, you know, binge or anything like that. Now for me, I don't throw it away because it can sit in the fridge and I won't touch it. But for some people, they got thrown away. And if you're the type of person that's like, well, I don't want to waste food. Okay, well, do you want to gain weight? No. Okay, so fucking waste the food. Like, <laughs> unless you're shipping it to a third world country to help somebody, throw it the fuck away. Like, yeah. it's your results or the garbage. <laughs> but, because you don't want it floating around. When I do ice cream with Blakely, I go to Menchie's, I fill my cup, whatever's in my cup, I consume. I don't get seconds. I don't, like buy a tub of ice cream and bring it home and have like, that's where I think people go wrong. It's like, Oh, my free meal is going to be ice cream. So I'm going to go buy a tub and I'm just gonna have a scoop. 
No, you're not. You just bought a tub. Yeah. Like you intend on eating that whole thing. Go to Cold Stone, go to Baskin Robbins, go to wherever your place is and get one scoop if that's what you want. And then it's a portion controlled purchase and then you leave. So I think free meals are acceptable and then you just have that parameter. It's a, it's a portion controlled purchase. And what you do is you do this from day one. So instead of going, well, I want to like get all in on the diet right away and then we'll add that in later. No, no, no. Add that in from the start because you want to get used to it. You don't want to like diet hard and then be deprived of something and then throw it in when you're really hungry and craving it. You want to throw it in when you have high levels of motivation and you can witness yourself acting on this portion controlled purchase. You can witness yourself only having one scoop. So when you are hungrier or craving things in the future, you can sit there and go, no, I've done this before. Like I just need a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And another little like thing that you can throw out there too is, is take this with a grain of salt because I don't think this is completely true, but a lot of people have used this. And I think it's somewhat useful to think about if you're craving something, ask yourself, would you eat a plain chicken breast right now? And if the answer is no, then you're not really hungry. You're just craving some bullshit. You know, it's, it's an emotional craving that you're having. Um, I've done this at home plenty of times. We have plain oven roasted deli turkey slices. They're not, I mean, it's, it's turkey. It's not bad, but yeah, nothing special about it. If I'm starving, like if I'm really hungry and I can feel it, that's what I will eat. It's purely protein, like next to no fat, no carb. Like if I'm really hungry, I will eat some of that and I can eat a couple slices and I'm satiated. If I'm really hungry and I go to get that and I'm like, fuck this, then I'm not hungry. I'm just craving something because I won't eat the turkey. Yeah. Um, so you can throw that test out there as well. But in general, I don't, I personally think once you can figure it out, you shouldn't track it unless you have an extreme goal. Like if you have a deadline for a wedding or a photo shoot or a competition or something, then yeah, you should track those things because it's not a free meal. It's not a cheat meal. Like you have a very specific goal and you can easily fit those in with flexible dieting, whether you eat the same amount of calories every day of the week, or you intentionally have higher calories on one day to fit in more flexibility. You can absolutely fit things in and you can choose quote unquote free meals that fit in and that are easier to track. Probably not going to be perfect because if you go to a restaurant or you get sushi or anything like that, it's not going to be perfect, but you can get close enough and, and guessing with pretty close accuracy is better than just not guessing at all and saying, fuck it. Um, for everybody else who doesn't have a timeline, I think you should learn to have the capability of having an untracked meal once a week. That should be the goal because if we really think about lifestyle oriented dieting, that's what it should be. We should learn how to restrain ourselves and have discipline from overeating without having macros as a parameter. During the week, yeah, use macros because those are going to get you to your result way fucking better. But if you never practice the act of not tracking a meal and you can't not overeat when not tracking, then you got an issue. You got to work on it. You, you know? will have an issue. So I, I talk to clients about that all the time. I say, hey, I would rather us lose four weeks of progress because you you are trying to figure out how to control yourself in that setting so that we can like lose weight after that and develop the skill and the discipline required in order to not track when needed. Because if you go on a trip, if you have a work event, if you have a, a date night out or anything like that, I think it's, an, it's important to be able to go do that without tracking. And if you can't do that, you got to learn that skill, you know? So I love it. It obviously depends on where you're at in your journey, but, um, I think everybody should be working towards that untracked meal unless you have a very specific timeline-based goal. Totally. Cool. All right. Uh, We will move on to the next one is, what are your thoughts on metabolic damage? Is this a real thing, or can too much effort towards fat loss ruin your long-term progress? First of all, uh, metabolic adaptation is still relatively new. Like... um, 
it, it's fun. I, I felt like I really, really understood it. And over the last six months, probably some more research has come out and some people have like really dove into the research that had already came out deeper and deeper and deeper and kind of unraveled some things that I think just present some really good points and some good ideas and some good thoughts around the idea of what metabolic adaptation is. But so I'm just going to speak on number one. I think everybody should do their due diligence of looking into things deeper and deeper because more and more is coming out on it. But a few things I think to point out are number one, metabolic damage isn't a thing. (laughs) It was first called metabolic damage because we didn't know anything about it. Lane Norton was actually the one that first called it metabolic damage. Um, And it's because he coined the term, he created it and a bunch of people gave him shit. But like at the time there was no research on it. It was just like, wow, like I see all these clients dieting and then afterwards gaining a bunch of weight. And I think their metabolism took a big hit and they can't handle the calories they should be able to handle at that weight. And therefore it's causing weight gain, which is exactly what's happening. The reason we can't call it damage is because it's not a broken item. It's not a broken uh, system. It is just a adapted, an adapted system. And we need to reverse that adaptation. That's the whole point of recovery diets, reverse diets. Because after a diet and we have a suppressed metabolism and our body can't handle as many calories at the weight, uh, as many calories as it should be able to handle, then yes, you're going to gain weight if you increase calories too quickly afterwards, right? And that would mean that your body adapted to a lower caloric set point and a lower body weight, but it needs to be higher. And that just, it's a process to get there. Um, so it's not damage, um, it's adaptation. So damage isn't true, but adaptation is a very true thing. Um, the other thing to think about is that it's not really a bad thing always. I think that it's looked at as a negative thing. And sometimes it can be a frustrating thing if you, if you don't go about planning properly. Um, and the faster we diet down or reverse up, the, the more severe those adaptations are probably going to feel. Um, and to an extent, it matters, doesn't matter. And what I mean by that is like, especially on the reverse end, like people, you know, talk about this all the time where what's the point of going slow me and Mike Matthews talked a lot about this when he had me on his podcast to talk about reverse dieting. If we go really slow, there's not like they, they basically argue that there's no point to it because if we go super slow, the problem is is that we essentially um, get to the same ending point no matter what. So if we go from just for easy math, let's say like uh, 1200 to 2000 calories and we take three to four months to get there and it causes us to gain five pounds. Well, if we would have done that in three to four weeks, we still would have gained five pounds because if 2000 is still our true maintenance or our maintenance at five pounds heavier, we're going to gain that five pounds no matter how fast we go. And that is very true. The problem with that is most people can't handle that. um, Three weeks. Yeah, because it just fucks with their head. And I would rather take the slow route if I feel like the, the psychological health of somebody needs to go slower. The other thing to consider is that there are some people that have a more adaptive metabolism and those people might respond better um, to the reverse diet. Now, would this, so like in what this means is like if I take three to four months to reverse their calories up to 2000, as I'm doing that, their neat increases, their uh, some molecular things that we can't really see or control increase. So maybe like, like it sounds crazy, but like their skin healing, their hair growing, um, blinking, fidgeting, like all aspects of BMR increase slowly over those three to four months. And it helps them not gain any weight because these processes require calories to work. And if we go slow and those things ramp up while we're increasing calories, then they will still lean. Would that happen if they, if they're a very adaptive and responsive person, would that happen in three to four weeks? I don't know. There's no research on that. So maybe, maybe not. Um, 
so it, it's kind of like it's an individual thing. I don't think there's a right answer there. I think if somebody if somebody's main goal is long term like bodybuilding and you need to go through a gaining phase, just get it done because you need to get to maintenance or a surplus as quick as possible so you can spend more time gaining. And you know you're just going to cut again for another show. So who gives a shit? You know you're going to get to your maintenance fast. You can handle that because you're used to body weight fluctuating. Um, the other thing you got to be sure of is not to overshoot because if you overshoot too quickly, then potentially body fat hyperplasia can occur. Now, this doesn't change the, the, the concept of reverse dieting or metabolic adaptation. It's just to say that if we think we need to go from 1,200 to 2,000, but your new maintenance actually isn't 2,000, it's, it's like 1,800, well, you're better off going slow enough to make sure that you stop at the right point. So maybe you bump up a couple hundred calories, wait a couple weeks, bump up a couple hundred, wait a couple weeks. And then when you get to 1,800, you realize that that's your true maintenance, right? Or you go a little bit past that and then you realize you got to pull back down, but you have time to do so. If you go straight to 2,000 and you gain weight too quickly, there's the potential idea of body fat hyperplasia. And I say potential because it's only been tested on rats, not humans, but um, it makes sense physiologically speaking for humans too, where if we increase calories too quickly and we gain weight rapidly, body fat hyperplasia might happen, which is where we multiply fat cells. So instead of a fat cell just growing, which is usually what happens, we, we grow fat cells and we shrink them when we lose weight, we might multiply them, which means now we multiply and they grow. So now not only do I got to shrink fat cells, but I got to remove other fat cells too, which makes it harder. And this is why the more times we yo-yo diet, the harder it is to sustain results, which is why I always stress to people, invest, commit, do it right and take your time because then you can avoid this, yep. which is the idea of this is going to be harder long-term if you do it too quick, if you take a rapid approach. Um, I shouldn't say that because some people do well with rapid approach as long as you can handle the aftermath and you can, you can control yourself afterwards. But you got to be intelligent with it and, and methodical. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's definitely like a, it's a whole podcast in itself, but in general, metabolic adaptation is, is it's real. It's not negative. It's just the way your body responds to dieting. It's the way your body responds to, um, training and, and uh, energy expenditure. It's, it can be a negative thing. If you take it to the extremes, if you're somebody who is doing too much in the gym, you're dieting too hard and like you see the biofeedback negative uh, symptoms happening, you're losing your period, your, your hair's falling out, your skin's like brittle and dry. Those things are signs of a low thyroid. You, you could be potentially causing damage long-term to other things related to the metabolism. Um, and that could be an issue, but for the most part, as long as you're aware of these things, your adaptation is just a natural part of the process. It's a survival mechanism. Yeah. It's actually a really intelligent thing. And there's, there's some research that shows it's actually a sign of successful fat loss because if you lose a hundred pounds and two years later, you're, you still have signs of metabolic adaptation. Well, that's because you're 200, you're a hundred pounds lighter. You lost a hundred pounds, which means your metabolism is slower than it was when you're a hundred pounds heavier because you have a hundred pounds less mass. Yeah. That's a good thing. So that's like a, that's a sign saying, Hey, I still have metabolic adaptation because I sustained the weight loss. I conquered, right? You can't expect to eat the same amount of calories at a hundred pounds lighter. You just can't. But if you're removing fast food and junk and all that shit, you're not going to have a problem doing so, you know? So yeah, uh, it's very true. Uh, metabolic adaptation damage, not so much. Um, it's just something you got to pay attention to and control. Totally. So Cool. That was the last question for today. Do we have any announcements, sponsors, giveaways? Yes. Uh, remember about the giveaway. If you like this podcast, take a screenshot, 
post on your story on Instagram, tag me at Cody McBroom, tag somebody you want to listen to the podcast or share this podcast with, and make sure you leave a five-star rating and review. We will DM you within a week's time after this episode, if you are the winner, and we're going to send you a shirt, a tailored shirt. Uh, shout out to our sponsors, giantlifting.com. You can use TCM10 to save 10% on any of their fitness equipment. Firstform.com slash tailored coaching method for free shipping and the best supplements in the game. And last but not least, tailoredlifeapparel.co. Go check out the apparel site. Go follow us on Instagram and make sure you subscribe to the email list so that you can get notified when the next drop goes live. We appreciate you guys and we'll catch you next time.